Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss. We are doing a live special edition at Gamma Trade Show where I have the opportunity to sit down with creators face-to-face, one of the unique opportunities that I didn't want to pass up. And I'm joined by Brad Talton with Level 99 Games. Brad, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Good to be here, Richard. It is. It's a lot of fun because we had a chance to visit. We've uh, Over the last couple of days, we've been able to talk. You just had a Kickstarter campaign, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But mostly what we want to talk about is your journey to getting to this point. Level, you do this full-time, right? Yeah. Full-time job. Full-time job. Level 99 Games is your baby. It, uh, it's a company. It, it, uh, it's mm-hmm. doing well. How, so tell us a little bit about the game, and a, not about the game, about the company and about you and your, a little bit of your journey getting here. Yeah, well, it's been a long trip, and we have a, a very storied history. I'd uh, say so we've kind of been through four different phases, four different incarnations or organizational structures of the company, starting with just me in my garage making games, and we would, we would do a project... I'd invite my friends over, and we'd have some pizza, and we'd ship all the copies that I sold, you know, the 600, 800 copies that we'd sold. And, and you sold those, how did you sell those? Through Kickstarter. Okay, so, so that was, like our, so first, was Kickstarter right from, the beginning, right from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so a little background on me. My background is actually in um, iPhone development, so I, I did iOS programming. That was my trade really? skill. And I worked for a contractor ship out of uh, North Carolina, um, and the recession hit, you know, 2007. Um, I got laid off. I was a junior programmer, so I was one of the ones that got cut. And we, my wife, uh, my fiance at the time, was going to New Mexico to pursue her career. And she's like, "Why don't you come to New Mexico with me?" And I'm like, "Well, I'll move cross country, but you got to marry me." And, um, <laughs> and she's like, "Fine, we'll get married." And so we did that. We moved to New Mexico. Well, we moved to New Mexico, then we got married a few years later. But All right, that works. I was working contracts and uh, doing independent on my own. Around a little bit after that, it's when Kickstarter got started, and I saw Imminent Domain go up on Kickstarter, and I said, well, I've always been a fan of board games. I've always been developing board games. I've, I used to make these for my mom to play when I was like 9 or 10, because um, they wouldn't let me play more video games, so I had to do something else. Got it. So I've been making these a long time, but I never thought there was a market for it. I'd never. i been in a hobby club, and I'm like, we have to be as big as Steve Jackson to do this. Right. But Kickstarter came out, I saw Imminent Domain do it, and I was like, well, I could do that. I have a game. I put up my first game. It was Battlecon, the uh, fighting card game. Right. That uh, funded uh, $25,000, and I only lost about $25,000 on that project. So I, it's a resounding <laughs> success. And, but it's almost like, holy crap, it funded. Now what do I do? Yeah, right? really. It, it was, because I, I had no business experience. The, the complete limit of my business experience was I wrote a, like, a novel, a short novel, and sold it at an anime convention once. Oh, my gosh. And that was my complete experience. So I was, I was really coming into business from, from ground zero. And um, so, that was, so that was the first incarnation of the company. I made a game. I'd sell a game. I would ship a few copies. You know, six months, 12 months later, I'd have another game. And that persisted about two, three years. Right, which is, this is the time period I came, became aware of Level 99. It was right about that phase of your Yeah, because our first project went through Impressions and knew, knew me through Aldo. Yep. So we did, we did a few of those. Eventually, we did a project, uh, the sequel to my first game, Battlecon. So this is Devastation, the second box. This is a big box, like yes. 13 by 15 by like three inches deep. Um, we ended up selling a lot of these. Too many to put in my garage, so I had to get a warehouse. Um, so I got a warehouse... I hired like three or four local guys that come in, ship products, and then when you know, and then we would work on games. 
that went on for another two years. So I was I was the boss now, right? And it was it was weird. It was like uh, it was a different thing. Like not only was I running my own business, but I was the boss. I had to run payroll, and I had to like set a schedule, and I had to supervise. Um, and uh, like I'm not afraid to admit, I was a bad boss. Okay, I would micromanage. I would check in. It's like, how are you guys spending my money? I paid you, like, you know, $100 today to do what? And, you know, like, why didn't you use the cheap shipping option and not the expense? I was that, that guy. I was bad. Real bad. And through a proportion of my, my mismanagement and my um, just, like, foibles with logistics, not being very good at logistics. Right. So as a result of being bad, my business went under. Uh, okay. We, I, I checked all my books one day. I found out. Oh, hey, I'm a quarter million dollars in debt, and all my projects are in production in China, unpaid. And so... So you, not only do you not have the money, but you owe lots of money. I owe lots of money. Well, I, I so so I say 250 Like, the 250 is, is, like, money that I owe to production, to fulfillment, to the backers who have already paid their shipping costs. So all this money that I'm, I'm expected to come up with. And, and I said, well, like, i got to do something. So I came back, closed the warehouse... Like fired all of, all the staff except for the press manager, who I had to keep on because we had two more projects right. that still need to be finished. Uh, so that happened. Uh, I got a bunch of loans. I got a very generous payment plan for my printer. I got um, a uh, what's it like bunch of deferments for for payments. Right. Uh, I got advances from Aldo on my sales coming that works coming in. We might have to delete that part out. I don't know if Aldo wants us to know that, but yes, uh, okay. Aldo, Aldo was there too. No, yeah. So 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 we were lucky enough to get a, bu- a bunch of money in from distribution from projects that had just come in, and uh, and so we pared everything down. We you know treaded water for about two or three more years, just working out wow. of my house, wow. working out of my house, getting everything to get back, and eventually you know we were good. After about a year and a half of that, and then we started to, you know, like work on new projects. Millennium Blades was the game that really saved the company. Millennium Blades was a resounding success. We kickstarted it. Um, we kickstarted it again uh, with the sequel at the same time that the game landed, and then perfect timing. Then yeah, perfect timing. It was getting... perfect timing. Yeah, because we were actually we were actually really out of money at that time, okay. <laughs> and so um, and so we didn't have time to wait for the distribution to turn around mm-hmm. and make us money again. Um, so, so we, we had to launch the next campaign right away so that we could keep the game in print because it, and it sold out on day one and that was really what did it because the next month we had, you know, like hundred K coming in because it sold out on, on, on arrival. So that was super huge. Anyway, fast forward, I've now got like three or four people working and I'm the boss again, but now I'm the boss of a remote team and they're all working out of their own houses to minimize cost to, you know, to focus on their own stuff, and I can't micromanage because I'm not in the office anymore. Right. So, um, I learned a bit about how to be a good manager, about how to do schedules, about how to keep everything together. So now we've sort of entered the fourth stage, which is I've taken all of those team members that have been working with me two years now and elevated them to a director level position. So now I'm not the boss of everybody; I'm the boss of the bosses. And so our creative director has all the artists reporting to her. A development director has all the playtesters and all of the developers and uh, some of the designers reporting to him. The marketing director has convention staff and social media staff all reporting to him. And so now we have sort of a tiered structure and I don't so much manage the day-to-day operations. I'm more of a navigator now. I set the course. I set the plan. And so, and what does that look like then? So that, 
first of all, thank you for sharing because uh, one of the things is that people learn that you're not alone in this, right? That it's mm-hmm. so easy to get. Kickstarter allows you to exacerbate your weaknesses so quickly. You can you can you can really leverage your failure <laughs> in, in an incredible way with Kickstarter. Right, it gives yeah. you that opportunity. But now here you are in another phase, opportunity to do this, and I, I, so I had several questions as as I listened to that. That you were very open about that. Do you think that your experience? Oh, one of the questions. Hang on, sorry, audience. I have my head's bouncing around. Uh, it was a lot of stuff. I'm, there was I, a lot I'm of stuff. A little long-winded there. And we've been talking and for a while here, and I've, I've I've enjoyed the conversation because one of the things is that as a developer, do you want do you see yourself still as a game developer or as a business owner running a publishing company? What do you see yourself as? I've always told people that I am a publisher. Um, design is my hobby and publishing is my business. Okay, so and now who designs the games for Level 99? A, l- a lot of different folks. So when we, we, have, we have sort of a two-step process. We break it up into design, which is where we come up with the concept and the big idea of the game and the rules. And then we have a development phase, and that's where we create all of our content and do all of our balancing and prepare our games for, you know, for real life and the real world. So a game has to get through the design process before it gets to our development. And those designs come from various places. A lot of times it's a collaboration of the members of our team that want to do something cool. Sometimes they come from outside design designers. We have a few designers we've worked with in the past that uh, we're good friends with. And sometimes I do them myself. But when I do design myself, it's generally an you know an after hours skunkworks type of project. It's something that I'm not I'm not taking my daytimes to make to make games. I make games a hobby on the weekends, and then I submit them to the company. Just like, just just like, like a designer would. Yeah. When was the last time you designed a game? Uh, actually, last Saturday. Okay. I was I was sitting at home, and I was like, "Well, I'm going to Gamma next week. Uh, I had this cool idea that I came up with last night when I was about to go to sleep. I typed it up. I'm like, well, I could do a prototype. It'll take me about four hours. So I did it. I typed it all up. I made the prototype. I actually brought it to the show. Showed a few people. Um, one of my colleagues. Uh, Played it. He's like, "Oh, I have a, a license that would be perfect for this. Can I can I take your game?" And Wait a minute! It didn't go through. Wait, I thought I, I thought you just told me there's this whole process that it goes through. Well, if I I mean, for if we're doing it internally, oh right, like, all right. For, for our for level ninety nine to accept it, we've got a process, right? But um, for but for you, I just showed it to to yeah to a friend, and they want to publish it. Got so, it. Got so it. that kind of thing happens, and right. and so I, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Following it's, your processes. But with the process, yeah, we, we do a lot of planning up front. And I found the more planning we can do, the more successful a project is, both financially and from a directional you know, execution standpoint. So another question I have about is the, something I've noticed in the industry, and many people have, is that software engineers, those coming out developers, seem to be uh, disproportionately represented when it comes to board game designers and publishers. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think there's a direct correlation between your skill set as a as – a, and are you doing any development, uh, software development? I don't. Uh, I don't do any more programming these days except to the capacity that, uh, that interests me as a hobby. I'm really interested in procedural generation and in, like, computer – balancing like game balancing and so we do use some of those automated tools in our in our game processes oh okay interesting um are those deve- I, do you develop those sometimes okay sometimes we've also had um other statisticians uh or programmers that have gotten in touch with me and said you know like we have some digital tools that we want to to show you or that we that we've made as fans um one of our fans created a, like an, an automatic player for one of our games like okay so explain that so it's a it's a computer program you punch in your moves 
it knows all the cards in the game, and it'll generate your opponent's move back to you. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's pretty smart. It's pretty tough to beat. And so we actually took that from him, and we uh, hacked it up a bit and created an autoplayer. And so we just, to balance one of, like, the Devastation, our big game a few years ago, we did, we just played, you know, 100,000 matches automatically overnight, every night, until we had the balance of the characters right. And because and you can do that that automated right we can um, we can really rapidly is discover. there machine learning happening is there an AI is it still just no, the it's, pr- it's it's true it's it's heuristic well okay. it's not even heuristic it's more statistical because the game will run all of the different moves that and that engine would just run all the moves and figure out which one was the most likely to create the largest point lead got it so so that was that was pretty useful do you see but, that as a unique well and that we still come back to the it, but it sounds like the fact that. Software yeah. developers. Software. So software developers have a a pretty interesting skill set in that we are we we are creating computers computer software basically instruction sets basically rule books for computers to follow and so to take that jump from how do I tell a computer to follow these steps to execute an action to how do I tell a human to follow these steps to execute execute this action is a pretty short leap and when a computer programmer sees um, mechanics like worker placement, like set collection, and like the um, some of the, like action selection, we we can we kind of resonate with those because they are similar to the structures that we use in computer uh, programming. So, uh, would you then? I often say this that a board game is a computer program with the human the operating system. Absolutely, is that that's 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 one hundred percent true. Okay, yeah. The, um, and you have to, it, it really, it's an interesting challenge for a programmer because you have to be extremely elegant with your systems. Um, you know, in the old days of computer programming, you had to be real careful about your memory limits and how much processing you were using. And you had to do little tricks and double up on your, on your memory and stuff like that. And you get a, even more of that puzzle side of programming in designing a board game because you have a real complex system and you're trying to simulate and you have to, through the actions of the, of the user accomplish a lot of things by consequence. Uh, does that make sense? It does, but I'd like you to explain it because you saw a slightly puzzled look because I had to process it, but let's let our audience have a chance to process it. What does that mean by consequence? So through the way that I am moving bits around and taking actions in this board, I'm creating a much more complicated and um, an interactive state than it would suggest by the simplicity of the actions I'm taking. When I move a guy from, from here to there and that is like a worker placement action. It triggers another thing, which does a few other things that interact with other greater systems in a larger way. I'm creating a system that is leveraging the small player's action to create a much larger effect. And you see this really in a lot of the, the Euro thematic Euros, like Eclipse and such. When I move a piece off of my board, that does something. When I move it onto the other board, that does something else. And the fact that it's there also interacts with the pieces around it in certain ways. What, and one of the... Somebody who I know who's yeah. a developer who's done well is uh, Matt Leacock, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Who I met him actually in the software world, basically before I met him in the board game world. And he's been able to take what I consider an algorithm, pandemic, forbidden mm-hmm. island, forbidden desert, forbidden sky, and then figure out how to expand this algorithm that he's got. Yeah. That he's been able to figure this thing out. Yeah. I think being a good game developer is, is a lot about being a good puzzle developer and a lot about being a good process developer. And especially, it's really obvious if you play the Rosenberg games, you see how in, like, in Agricola, you have a little bit of that leverage. And when you get to a game like Feast of Odin, 
the amount of leverage that a player's small action takes on the entire game state, how those little actions ripple to every other aspect of the game. It's, it's huge. And so he's created a really complex system with very simple inputs and very clear inputs. And I think that's the real challenge of board game is making the results of the inputs clear to the player, making the strategy obvious without making the game itself tedious. Right, which is what, uh, yeah, the whole Monopoly, the, the strategy of Monopoly is pretty clear. I say, I tell people Monopoly and Risk are the same game. You just simply need to take over all the territories on the board, eliminating all the players, and walk away with you know, all the resources. Well, that describes pretty much Monopoly and Risk. Yeah. Right? And so that's, that's why it's tedious, the, the term tedious, because... Tedious, because you have to do all those actions yourself. Right, yeah. and the game can't do it for you. And mm-hmm. Versus Ticket to Ride, on the other hand, allows you a process of development. Yeah. And I, and I hesitate to have this conversation with you, Brad, because I'm operating at a very basic level. I'm a business uh, marketing guy, and I know what you think about those business marketing guys. So okay. I, I, I admire the business marketing Really? Product. Really? Okay. It's, it's something I aspire to because, like I said, I realized that it was, it was, what, I, it was what I lacked. It was really what, what brought us down the first time was my own deficiencies in in that area and, and is so, that something that's always attracted you then it's uh oh it's something that's in my family like okay. my you know for three generations back my family's been entrepreneurs in one way or another and so I've, I've always been close to business but i was never really taught business right and and so you know so i didn't i didn't know i really didn't know what it was i figured you know if you how go hard business, can it be well yeah how hard can it be you know, I'll just go out on the street and sell the thing that I made. Right. And and the world doesn't work that way anymore. Um, but even, I don't know if the world ever worked that way. Right. But having, basically taking upon myself a business education, you know, doing a lot of reading, learning what marketing is and how to do it, how to manage logistics, how to manage accounting and financials and do people, planning. How to manage people. And people especially. People is, is, is a huge thing. So, yeah. So I, I, I do admire that. And that's... It's one of the skills that I need, that I'm I'm, con- I'm constantly trying to become qualified for the position, <laughs> I, and, and I, I, you know, I I don't know if I'll ever get there, but well, I would say just from sitting on my side of the table that uh, you're a far far down that path because the fact that you recognize here's the skills I need to be effective, and it's interesting to listen to your personal evolution as you've talked about the evolution of your game company, your own personal evolution to go from a developer whatever drew you to that, to then to a designer, and then to a bit of a business owner. Mm-hmm. And now, really, you're a leader, that you have turned into a business leader rather than simply a manager or a designer or that type of thing. And that's a really interesting um, evolution that not a lot of people recognize they're on. One thing that I really think is interesting for it for me is that um, the, attraction, the attraction to me of business is kind of the same attraction as game design in that... I believe that there's a correct process that I can I can create that will that will, like a correct operationing operational procedure and process that I can create that will leverage the energy of myself and of the other players in this organization to create magnified results and I think that's the fundamental of business that I sort of always missed so I you might say I'm a I'm Approaching the company's structure the same way I might approach a game design, which it looks like actually that's what look I wouldn't I wouldn't even uh, that's exactly what you're doing and that's why I, I have uh, only believe that level 99 will continue to do so much better. Well, thanks. No, thank you. Thanks for joining me on the show. Well, it's been great to be here and it's uh, great to tell the story. I hope I wasn't too wordy. No, <laughs> absolutely my, not. My, uh, no, we've been great. Soliloquizing. 
You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Brad uh, Talton with uh, um, Level 99 Games. And we've been talking about a wide range of things, that the journey that he's been on and the success that he's found and the lessons learned from the failures that he's experienced. I want to really appreciate his time. If you'd like to join us on the show or at least to talk about the show episodes, join us on our Facebook group at Funding the Dream on Kickstarter Facebook group. I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you there. Thanks for listening. Take care.